Welcome to this edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. This is the second part of the special series called the $35 trillion opportunity in the USA. Yes, $35 trillion. And whoever can act fast will create value that fast. To tell us more about this opportunity, that is the greatest wealth transfer in history in the USA. Let's go to the man who is watching this space as closely as possible to profit those who would want to profit from it. And we are joined by David Walters, founder and CEO, Steam Powered Consulting. Welcome to the show, David. AJ, thanks again for the invitation. It's a pleasure. Thank you for being a part of this great series so that a lot of people know exactly about this opportunity. So today we'll be talking about how to increase your business exit value by 1100%. What does this exactly uh, mean, David? Can you explain it for our audience? Absolutely. As we said in the previous show, 98, 99% of business owners are going to exit for almost zero value, which is a tragedy when they put their life into their business. So what we do is we, we look at what is needed to make their business most attractive for a business broker or a potential buyer. And then we work with the business owner through a variety of different strategies and processes to show them how to maximize the value of the business. And our goal is to uh, work with the business owner and give them at least a 10x increase in value between the baseline that we establish and when they're ready to sell. So, so we want to increase the value of the business 10 in this model, uh, you know, 1100% is very credible. And I, I can explain how they can do that in, in the rest of the presentation. Right, right. So last time we talked about SDE and EBITDA valuation. How does that fit into this 1100%? If you can put that in perspective for our viewers here. Yep, absolutely. Let me, let me grab the slides and I'll just talk you through that process. Cause th this is actually the, the exact detail we're going to be going into today. Okay. So, uh, if we can put the slides up there and then I'll, I'll take you through that. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. So as I say, our goal is to help the business owner increase the value of their business exit by at least a factor of 10. Okay. So uh, we've mentioned the opportunity and there are currently, we mentioned this on the first episode, four and a half million firms who are going to be going through this, this business wealth transition in the next 10 years. That's $10 trillion of value, which if we don't capture it is going to get lost. 98% of that could well get lost as the business goes, goes to closure and ends up in a zero value exit. Okay. So there's a huge potential here for a smart investor or smart entrepreneurs that want to help save the value of these businesses. And as we said, you know, 98% of business exits are zero value. So it's beholden upon the business community, not the entrepreneur community to help these people who've been running their business, you know, successfully for many years, but help them not fail at the last minute by ending up in a zero value exit. So that's, that's where we really want to focus. And it becomes a win-win. The entrepreneur wins because they get a business that they can, they can optimize and revalue. The existing business owner wins because they don't lose the value from their life's work. And the, the business community as a whole wins because the value that's intrinsic in that business stays available to the community. So this is a very altruistic program and it's a win-win for all concerned. 
So we mentioned last time about the SDE valuation. And we said, basically, if you, if you, if you presented your business to a broker and it was an owner centric business, so that, so basically all revolves around the, it would be based on sellers discretionary earnings and the typical multipliers that you would see in that case is one times profit to a maximum of 4.5 times profit. And that depends on really the revenue of the business and the profitability of the business, which if somebody has been working in a business for 10 or 15 years and you say, Hey, you know, I'm willing to give you one times profit. That's very low. You know, a lot of business owners think they'll sell their business and they'll go and buy a yacht and live happily ever after. When even if they can sell the business, they get one times earn, uh, one times um, profit, one times earnings. So then we look at EBITDA. Now, to in order to get an EBITDA valuation, you need to have a professional management system. And I'll go into a bit more detail of what that actually means. But this is the earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. But here we can see multipliers in the four to thirty-five range. And in fact, the good news is, and I'll talk about this later, the figures I was using in the presentation last week were based on 2021 numbers. We've just received this week, the 2022 Q1 numbers, and there's a okay. huge increase. Uh, and I'll talk about that later as well. Okay. The idea is we want to go from an owner centric business to a business that's professionally managed. When you do that, then you can qualify for an EBITDA valuation. Okay. Right. Right. Right, David. Here, one thing comes to my mind at this point in time, David, is that 98% of businesses may end up in zero valuation if they don't take timely action. I, I just wanted to understand if business owners, the baby boomers, they are aware of this particular, you know, carnage in the, in the making of carnage that is awaiting in case something is not done about it. No, I, I think that's a tragedy and I'll, I'll, again, I'll, t I'll talk more later why so many business owners are getting or going to be blindsided by then. And it's the attitude they have about their business and to their business. And I'll talk about that uh, later in the presentation, but regrettably business owners, although they say when they start the business, 60% of people who start a business say they want to sell it and, you know, and that will pay for their retirement or pay for their family or whatever it is. So they have that as a dream, but they never go through the process to realize the dream. And then when they say, Hey, I'm ready to sell. So we, you, your business that we can't sell it. You know, there's nothing there to sell. There's no assets that would live on after you leave because you are the business the business is built around you. And when you leave, there is nothing to sell on. So, so that's the problem. Most small and medium business owners make, they, it, they stay as an owner centric business. And therefore they are not a good candidate for resale and for offering to a broker. So the tax authorities should be very happy, you know, that there is so much of money that is waiting for them in case these founders, they don't take any timely action or if the business is passed on to the next generation without any optimization of so much of huge amount of wealth. Absolutely. And, and often, I mean. There are some family businesses that, but in most cases, the children don't have the same passions as the parents. So, you know, the parent may have worked in a, a small mechanical or a welding shop, for example, they're passionate about welding. They've done that all their life. They love, they love it. It's their, you know, it's their, their, their joy. When they come to say, Hey, I want to, I want to hand over the welding business to their children. We don't want to be into welding. We want to be into software or we want to be into it or 
you know, we're, we're, you know, we're going to become biotech, you know, executives or whatever their desire is. So, you know, the owner may assume that the kids want the business, but the kids will say, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, to do the heavy lifting. I don't want that sort of business. I have my own life. And so this, this long-term planning, this estate planning and this transition planning is often not done. And that's when the business goes into decline because the business says, well, I don't want it. I've got to get rid of it. And that's when you see them go into that, that death spiral that we showed in the last presentation. Right. Right. It's, it's a lot, a lot of irony there, but I guess maybe there is still some time in hand. And if they can come across people like you who could show them the right way and the right way to achieve optimization and to achieve the right valuation. But tell us about the entrepreneur roadmap that one, one, one can take at this point in time, if, if they actually want to go about it. We put that up there. So, okay. So the entrepreneur's roadmap, we mentioned that in a previous presentation and it's the seven stages of entrepreneurship. So the first stage is, is what we call traction. So you have a business idea, you try to see if your business, if the idea works. And what we say is if you can sell 10 products of your core product, you have a business that, that could work. The second stage is what we call the, the growth stage. So uh, this is where we talk about implementing that predictable growth engine, standardizing your sales and marketing so you can project and project, predict how your business is going to grow. But then we come to the expansion stage, and this is where we talked about needing to implement uh, a standard operations. And at that point, and again, I'm going to cover this more in the presentation, but at that point, the business is scalable then a whole range of new opportunities open up for you. And we'll talk about how you can exploit those opportunities later on. But let's go and look at what, let's look, let's dive in a bit more detail about what is the first step? What is the goal to achieving an EBITDA valuation? So basically the business broker or the person helping you sell the business needs to make sure that when you leave the business, there is still value there. And it's something that he can present to a potential buyer and it be attractive to them. So the sort of things they're looking at is, okay, is the business is professionally managed and would qualify for an EBITDA valuation if the business has recurring revenue. So remember the first thing we look at is that predictable growth engine to make sure that we know what our revenue has been, is, and will be into the future. Then to be attractive, they want to see revenue growth. People typically don't want to buy a business that is at that flat line stage in the, in the business journey. They want to see a business that's growing. Okay. Right. Another thing is they want to make sure that the key employees are going to stay with the business. So even if you, as the business founder, they want to make sure, and that's fine because we structure the business so that you are no longer central to the business, but they want to make sure that the key employees, you know, the management team, the key sales team, key account managers are all committed to the business. So whether you lock them in with some sort of bonus or, or profit sharing, you know, if, if you exit as the owner, they want to make sure that the team that you leave behind are going to stay there. Then they look at profit margin, um, and the sweet spot is better than 20% margin. And then we look, and these are, these are a bit more intangible, but these are the things that we have to look at. What, what competitive advantages does the business have? What separates them from everybody else in the marketplace? Customer concentration, many small businesses struggle because they'll get one great client and they'll spend 70, 80% of their time on that one client. But if that client leaves them, they're in trouble. So as a rule of thumb, if a business has more than 40% concentration, so that means 
more than 40% of their revenue is coming from a single client, they would not be a good candidate. So we recommend try and get below 10% concentration. Then the strength of the management team, obviously if the founder, the, the leader of the team is leaving, how good, how well will the team perform when they're gone? And then eventually what is the growth opportunity for that business? So these are the main criteria that would be looked at in the, in the decision as to, as to whether to value the business through EBIT or SDE. Okay. 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 And then the value, value optimization and, you know, scalability part comes in, uh, David, how, how does that work for this? How do you explain them to our viewers that uh, this is where, you know, a lot of money is for them. Okay. We'll, we'll go through exactly this process. So as I say, right. the, the acid test is can the business, so if you want to see if your business, it would be a candidate for an EBITDA valuation, can you take a month away from your business, no phone, no email, no communication with your team. And when you return in a month's time, the business is doing as well or better than when you left. If you can answer yes to that, then you're a good candidate for an EBITDA valuation. So here's the journey we've talked about this. So business. Business buyers want to see businesses that they know they can take through this breakout. So this is the first two steps, the growth engine and systematization. When you get to this point here, we would consider the business to be scalable. And that then gives you the whole opportunity to aim for this breakout, maximize the value, and then go for that high profit exit. Okay. So this is what we're trying to do is get people initially, get them to scalability and then get them up to exit. To, to a high value exit. And we'll, we'll talk in some of the detail about how we go through those steps. Okay. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll talk through just, just the, just the numbers. Um, and, and you've, you'll have seen some of these numbers before, but we'll just get a baseline. So assuming the business is doing $2 million of revenue at 15% margin, the SDE, the seller's discretionary earning would be about $300,000. Looking at these standard tables that business brokers use at $300,000, we would get a multiplier of about three. So you could say to that business owner, you should expect a valuation of about $900,000 for this business. Okay. And that's probably lower than they believe because they say, well, Hey, I'm doing $2 million a year. I deserve a lot more than that. This is the reality. That's how you get to that number. So how do we maximize that to to maximize the value of the business and maximize the value for the business owner. Right. First thing is we take them to systematization. So we build out that growth engine and we've, we've mentioned this several times and we, we, we give them that operating system because then it's not reliant on the individual business founder. There are systems in place. And when you have systems right. in place, you are scalable and that's when you can really hit that, that uptick in revenue generation. Okay. So scalability, professional management leads to an EBITDA valuation. That's what we're trying to get to. So let's say we've got these in place. These were the first two steps in the process. Now let me just give, and these, these figures have changed. So I tend to work in the construction engineering field because that's my background and that's people that I, I relate to. So sure. if we could get an EBITDA valuation, we would get 8.22. And this is based on 2021 figures. But if you look, there's a huge range of values. So if you're in coal mining, the average valuation last year was 4.5. Iron and steel, 5.9. But if you went into med, med tech, it's 25. Information systems, 25. Software, 25. 
So depending on what niche you're in, depending on what market, the, the valuation can be hugely different. And this is another strategy we can employ when we maximize the value for business. But just for the sake of this example, let's assume it's an engineering company with a, an EBITDA valuation last year of 8.22. Okay. So starting with our baseline of 900 K, we now go to the EBITDA valuation. $2 million of revenue at 15% margin, still $300,000 of EBITDA. Now, this is the exciting news, so I'll tell you this now. I looked at the, uh, I was on a, a call with our, with our mastermind group, and the new figures for 2022 have come out. And for an engineering company, the factor has gone from 8.22 to 12.6. So that's a 47% increase in business value over the last year. So this, this market, this whole system is heating up very nicely. So the latest multiplier, as I said, in 2021 was 8.22 Q1 of 2022, it's 12.6. So if we use this number, that gives us a business valuation of $3.7 million. Simply by going from SDE to EBITDA, the, the business value has increased by 420%. So that's Great. a huge start. That's a huge improvement. Okay. So now we're going to keep tweaking this to, to get us to that 1100. There's a gentleman called Jay Abram, who's, uh, who's on our, uh, my mastermind group, and he is considered to be the world's, uh, greatest marketer. And he, he's the guy who, who coined the phrase, the only way to grow a business is get more clients, sell more to them or sell to them more often. He also has this, this phrase. He says, you need to institute a profit Parthenon. And what he says, if you have a single sales channel, if that channel fails, your business fails with it. So what he says is you need to build multiple columns of revenue generation, multiple sales channels to protect the business. Now, if you go through this process and we do that through the predictable growth engine, if you were able to achieve 26% year on year growth for three years, that would give you a hundred percent revenue increase. 26% growth year on year is, is what you'd expect of a steady, of a, of a steady business, right? This is not an extreme growth rate. This is steady business growth. So this is achievable. So do that, do that year on year for three years and you get a hundred percent revenue increase. So then we apply that to our valuation method and our EBITDA now is based on $4 million of revenue at 15% at 12.6, which gives the value of 7.5 million. Okay. And that means our value has increased by 840% compared to that original valuation. All right. And we've only done the first two of the processes. Okay. Okay. And this is for how many in how many years, uh, David? We recommend this should be, this should be considered as a three-year plan because some of the things you have to do take time to establish. So our, our sweet spot is to go from initial engagement to sell out in three years. And that's the, that's the ideal for maximizing the value and getting the best return as quickly as possible. Okay. And then you take other steps to reach the 1100% mark. Correct. Yeah. And I'll talk you through some more of these. So, so this Great. next step here is what we call the profit maximizer. The first and foremost is to minimize non-conformance costs. I've worked with businesses where the non-conformance cost was 15, even 20%. That's, uh, that's 20% of sales. And that money comes straight off your profit. That's straight off the bottom line. Okay. 
So let's assume that you're running at 7% non-conformance costs, which is, which is high for a well-run business, but it's not uncommon. So that means 7% of your sales is lost because you are doing it as rework. You're giving this money away because you're having to do rework, but you're having to uh, pay the pay the client because you didn't do the job properly. If you can reduce your NCCs to two percent, and two percent is um, high for a very, I mean, it's it's good for a standard company. It's still a bit high for a well managed company, but if you can reduce from seven percent to two percent, you're saving two hundred thousand dollars in non conformance cost. That is straight profit. So that then adds to your business value. Okay. And that means your value has now gone up to eight, 862% because we're taking out the inefficiencies. We're taking out the losses. Okay. And we're maximizing our profit. Now we can go to customer experience. This is another thing that the business broker wants to know you have a good relationship with your client base. One of the ways to measure this is using what's called the NPS, the net promoter score. Okay. And there was research by the London school of economics that said, a 7% increase in NPS correlates to 1% growth in revenue. Okay. Now the NPS is quite a tough metric. It's, it's a very broad, it's, it's, it's what's called a blunt instrument. And it's only one question. How likely are you to refer this company to a business partner or a, or a friend? Okay. If, if they give you a score of eight, uh, sorry, nine or 10, they're considered to be a promoter. If they give you a score of seven or eight, they're passive. And if they give you a score of less than seven, they're a detractor. And then what you do is you add the number of promoters, subtract the number of detractors, and that gives you a score. Okay. So nor is actually not a bad place to be. You ought to be better than that. But a company like Apple at their heyday had an NPS around 70. Okay. So that's, that's best practice. So the, the best practice is you're looking at about 70 to 80 as you know, best in class, naught is actually not, I mean, there's room, there's obviously room for improvement, but I've taken over businesses where the MPS was down at minus and we had to turn that around. That was the first thing we had to do to, to improve the, you know, to improve the customer relationship because you're never going to make more sales. You're never going to have the ability to grow if you've got uh, bad relationships. Right. So assuming that we have an NPS of zero. And we, we, we improve our relationships. So good customer experience, we improve our relationships and we get, we get our NPS up to 20. Still not great, but we've made improvement. Okay. That would give us a revenue increase of 4%. That adds another $160,000 to your profit, which increases your business value now to 880%. Okay. So all of these incremental improvements, we're now squeezing the maximum value out of business. We're looking for those golden nuggets that we can add into the part of the value of the business. The other thing, when you have good customer experience, you are more likely to get advocacy and referrals, which gives you that strong social proof, which helps with other sales. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Right. So now this is, this is where we need to do a mind shift change in the, in the mind of the owner. So most people start working in the business. Okay. They're, they're an employee. They're their own employee and it's a job. They're just overbroke. Okay. The Michael Gerber wrote the email now probably 20 years ago, and he talked about working on your business. So you need to be the business owner and you need to be orchestrating everybody else who's working in your business, but you need to work on your business. Okay. 
And what we say is actually you need to go to a level above that and you need to work above or work over your business. And then what you do is you look at your business, not as a single entity, but you look at your business as a lot of profit centers that you can maximize uh, and develop to, to maximize that exit. So instead of working on your business, you work over your business. And then you look at the whole business as a sequence or as a group of profit opportunities that you can maximize for your exit. Okay. And that's, that's a big psychological shift in the mindset of the business owner. But once you've done that, then it opens up the way for that breakout. So let's give you an example. Jeff Bezos. Okay. He was known as the, you know, the Amazon guy, the guy that delivered packages. Mm -hmm. He started with, he started to bring in Amazon web services and fulfillment yeah. Amazon. In that Business Week article, it's, it's called Amazon's Risky Bet. And it says, Jeff Bezos wants to help run your business with his uh, internet services. And then, and then the, the bit you can't see, unfortunately, didn't come out quite right. Wall Street just wants him to mine the store. So Wall Street were betting against Jeff Bezos when he came up with this. So was that bet correct? Well, let's have a look. If you look at this outer circle, this is Amazon sales in North America, $146 billion worth of sale, making $7 billion worth of profit. Okay. So it's about 5% profit margin. In internationally, Amazon made $66 billion worth of revenue for a $2 billion loss. Yeah. Okay. So as a, so as a total, Amazon globally was doing $212 billion worth of revenue at $5 billion worth of profit. So that's, that's less than two and a half percent margin. Okay. okay. Amazon web services did $26 billion worth of revenue. Okay. Much, much less than he did through Amazon package distribution but he made $7.4 billion worth of profit. So although it was this, this was only a 10th of the revenue, it was 140% higher than the profit he made elsewhere. So this is where you need to start thinking, thinking over your business. Okay. If Jeff Bezos had done what wall street told him to do, which is just mind the store, he would be doing, he'd be doing $212 billion of sales and $5 billion worth of revenue. So Wall Street typically doesn't know what it's doing. You know, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the inventors, they're the ones that really create wealth. But this is now thinking outside the box and thinking about thinking about your business as multiple profit opportunities to be maximized for that high value exit. Okay. Okay. So then this is where we are now looking for that home runner. This is where, if you remember on that, on that entrepreneur's journey, once we've got the, the business owner to, to pay up. So we'd say that, you know, you need to think, about it, you need to double your own salary because we need to, we need you to think like a, an entrepreneur. We need you to think like an investor because the next step is to go through M and A's merger and acquisitions. We also say you need to implement a, an advisory board because you're going to be making some big strategic decisions and you need help with those decisions. Here's one of the ways that we decide what we want to do for the M&A process. Okay. It's what we call the E to P exercise. So what we say is list your top tip, your list, your top seven expenses. Okay. 
So inventory, payroll, lead generation, running events, running facilities, creating content and product fulfillment. They may be your top seven expenses. So then we say, is it possible to turn these from expense lines into profit centers? Well, if we have extra inventory, can we sell it? Well, yes, of course we could. Can we make it monthly recurring revenue? Yeah, potentially we could, you know, we could, we could enter into supply arrangements and we could then offer it to other buyers. So we can then become a distributor of products, uh, of products these other buyers want. So we turn our inventory from a, a cost to a profit center. Payroll, can we turn our payroll costs, you know, payroll processing? Can we sell it? Yeah, everybody needs payroll. Can we make it monthly recurring revenue? Yeah, of course we can. We can, we can then, you know, offer it as a service to other, other people who are doing outsource customer service. And each one of these allows us to look at our business, not as a whole, but as a series of potential profit centers, which okay. helps maximize. Okay. Right. Right. So then from here, so if you now look at, so, so let's just go back here. So each one of these would add potentially another profit center to our business. Now the goal, if we want to hit that sweet spot, if we want to really maximize our business value, we need to then choose the M and A's that we want. So we could do an M and A to buy market share. So for example, we've done all the hard work to optimize our business. We may have a competitor that's not optimized. They're down at that SDE owner centric evaluation. So we buy them. We buy that business out. We bring in their customer base into our system, which is much more optimized. That immediately increases our market share. So that business may be a three, a three X multiplier. We're now at a 27 X multiplier. So we just buy the market share. Okay. Or we can look at our value chain. So we look at our suppliers. Do we have suppliers who we could buy to make new profit centers that increases the overall value of the business? And we go through this process. Okay. With a goal, the sweet spot for this, for this exercise is to hit $10 million worth of revenue and 20% EBIT. When we do that, we become very, very attractive to the private equity firms or to the family offices. We've got a lot of money, but they want to turn that money into, into assets. Okay. So when we hit the private equity sweet spot, which is greater than 10 million of, of annual recurring revenue, greater than 20% EBIT. Now look at what happens to our numbers. We started with a baseline of 900 K. We've gone through all of this optimization. Okay. We now have, we, we got us to this point before we've even done any M and A's. We've increased the valuation by 880%. Okay. Now through M and A, we build our, we build our annual recurring revenue greater than 10 million. What we see is when you get greater than 10 million, the valuation factor, there was some research done, um, and the valuation factor increased. This was specifically for an engineering company. It went from, and these, these are using last year's at the one to 3 million range. The high value ratio was 7.3 uh, above 10 million. The high value ratio was 10.7. So by hitting that $10 million revenue, um, cutoff, the valuation factor increased by 47%. So now if we look at that, that valuation there, we can increase that. Okay. To bring us up to this, to this, I think, I, I think that should be higher than that. That's a typo. 
but it's 12, 12,000% higher than when we first started just by going through right. the process. Okay. Right. So that's a, that's a huge improve and, and that's what is possible within three years. If you have the strategies and the techniques and the plan to start with a business that, you know, it's got a good baseline, but then you, at every step you're optimizing, you're going through this proven process, uh, optimize, maximize, reduce waste, optimize, and just keep optimizing and optimizing, bringing in more revenue, bringing in more profit until you hit that 10 million value and then you're ready. Then you, you, and then you can either flip the business for a high profit exit yourself, or you say, okay, I've now got a really strong product here to do a roll up. And then you just start buying more and more businesses to increase the overall value. But again, that's the decision you make, but, but the goal that my goal is to help my clients maximize value in three years and then exit. Okay. So that once, once you have fully optimized your uh, company or any other company that you have, you know, got into merger and acquisition with your, uh, with, with your buy, then you just sell out or roll up, whatever you do. What is, what uh, that is, that is at that point in time, you help them for that particular step. Yeah, as I say, my, 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 my preference is to maximize the profit, sell out, take the cash and then start again. Other people just want to keep building and that's fine. You know, we'll help them with that as well. But you know, I, I, I like to see that very high growth that we get in the early stages, because once the company gets bigger and bigger, it's more harder or more difficult to, to keep going for that high level of growth. Okay. So. What we, what I like to do is start with a business that is viable, but is not optimized and take them through that three year cycle to get the absolute maximum value, try and get them to that 10 million point and then exit. And then that gives the, the owner cash. It gives everybody some cash where you can repeat the process. We want to be working in the steep bit of the curve where we've got maximum, we've got the maximum growth potential. We don't want to be in the flat line at the top. Okay. 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 Yeah, right. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to it, watching this, they will certainly, there are a lot of people from India also, a lot of people who got money, family offices are there, HNIs are there, yeah. people who are looking at setting up base in the US or may have fine profitable com companies which are, you know, right fit for their existing businesses. I'm sure they will be, they are listening to it. They have a lot of feedback has come in for the first part of it. and people are watching this particular uh, series very, very closely and, and, and looks like they understand that you are very much the go-to man for all this, but how do they contact you? If, if anybody's interested in, in looking at this opportunity, the best, best way is find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my profiles, are, I think, I think AJ, we've got an email that we've shared with them so they can contact me, uh, LinkedIn or email, and I'll be happy to have a, a quick call just to see if there's a, an opportunity that we want to explore together. Great. Great. I'll also put all the details along with the email on YouTube description. Cool. Thank you. Right. I think right. So, right. So this is, this is the second part of this big opportunity, the $35 uh, trillion opportunity in the USA. And very soon we'll be coming out with the third part of, of this particular series to explain things further, break down all the, all the different portions of this huge, huge opportunity that's unfolding in the USA. But this opportunity for, is for global companies, global individuals, global people who have got the money or the right, or the industries that are right fit to buy from the USA. With this, 
It's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. AJ, thanks. It's a pleasure as always.